you take your Bibles and turn with me first to the Old Testament, the book of Micah, chapter 6. We'll read verses 6 through 8. Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Micah 6. We'll also read from the New Testament, and that's where our text is taken from this evening. We'll begin by reading Micah chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. People of God, hear now the very words of God. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy? And to walk humbly with your God. Let us turn to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians. We're going to start with the last part of chapter 12. The last part of verse 31 in chapter 12. We'll read all of chapter 13 and then just a little bit into chapter 14. Our focus will be on the first three verses of chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning partway through verse 31. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. People of God, what makes the world go round? If you'd ask a number of people that question, you'd get a lot of different answers. Some of a more scientific bent might say, well, it's, it's momentum, it's gravity. Some might say money. Some might say power. Some say people. Well, the answer that people give, it, what this question gets at, is what's fundamental? to living? What's necessary to live together? Now, we say is grace, certainly God's grace given in Christ for Christian living. And that's that's something that flows to us, comes to us. But there's something else, something that comes out in this chapter, something that God is, something that comes again and again in Scripture, and that is love. 1 Corinthians 13, a chapter that extols the virtues, the definition, sets before us again and again what love is, what agape love is. This isn't the same as the word love, we often use it in different ways. It's not the same as erotic love between a husband and wife. It's not love between friends. It's love that every Christian has. And every Christian must show in In older Bible translations, it's translated charity instead of love. In order to give context to this, the Apostle Paul, he's been teaching about spiritual gifts in chapter 12, and he's seeking to correct some, apparently, errors in the church there in Corinth that they had about, especially about speaking in tongues. The Apostle ranked uh, different spiritual gifts. We didn't read it. You can see there in verse 27 and following. Last in that list is about tongue speaking. But here, he does something different. In what we read there at the end of verse 12, he's not going to spend time in this chapter dwelling about the better gifts or even the gift of speaking in tongues. He says he's going to show us a more excellent way. That's where chapter 13 begins. Now, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts for the building up of the church of Christ, but those are merely means to an end. When the goal of building up is met, the gifts are removed. And so we no longer today have speaking in tongues. We no longer have apostles. We no longer have prophets in the strict sense of the word, prophecy, divine revelation, bringing The Apostle wants us to understand that while spiritual gifts are temporary, the way of Christian living is not. That way is more excellent than all the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit Spirit bestows. It excels them. That way is love. Spiritual gifts are nothing without love. That's what we hear in the first three verses of chapter 13. Spiritual gifts are nothing without love. And first, we want to especially focus on verse 1 and see that one can be talking eloquently 
and yet speaking noise. So verse 1, again, I'll read it. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now, the, as far as we can tell, the Christians in Corinth, they excelled at speaking in tongues. That, that's when a person was enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak in a language that they hadn't learned, they weren't familiar with, they didn't grow up with. It was, it was new to them. That's what the disciples did on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, if you remember that. Holy Spirit filled the room where they were sitting. Tongues of fire were on each one. They spoke in tongues. Imagine if if we could speak in tongues, really speak in tongues, not not some fake babbling. Think of the attention it would draw. Well, we saw that in Pentecost, Acts 2. It it drew quite a crowd, didn't it? You can imagine what many around us would think. It would be a great evangelistic tool, wouldn't it? Well, no doubt the Corinthians thought that. The city of Corinth, tongue speakers, they probably drew quite a crowd. Well, the Apostle Paul, though, he he puts forth a situation, a hypothetical situation, speaking in the tongues of men. Now, Paul, he was, as we know from elsewhere, he was gifted with speaking in tongues. In fact, more than all the Corinthians, chapter 14, verse 8, verse 18 says that. Imagine then if someone could speak in any language on earth, any language of man. Someone would be more gifted than the Apostle Paul in that regard. What a spiritual man or woman that person would be. There'd be no communication difficulties. If that gift lasted, why, such a person could translate the Bible into any language. No need of Wycliffe, no need of other Bible translators. Perfectly translated. That would be a great gift, wouldn't it? What a gift to the church. But Paul doesn't end, though, with that hypothetical situation. If I speak with the tongues of men, he extends it more. Not just hypothetical, but into hyperbole, an exaggerated situation. What if he could speak with the tongues of men and of angels? Now that's eloquence. None of us here has ever heard anyone speak angel talk. I imagine, we could imagine how beautiful, how eloquent it would be. And some people maybe hear the French language, and you might not understand any of it. You say, wow, that's, that's quite a language. Some people say, well, well, Frisian, that's the, the supreme language. But angel talk. We'd be mesmerized with it. So speaking in other, other languages of men, that would probably bring in crowds to help Bible translation. But imagine if someone could truly speak in the tongue of an angel. The crowds, they'd be drawn in, wouldn't they? How great such a man, a woman would be. And yet for all that eloquence of this individual, if if he did not have love, what does Paul say he'd be? I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, but have not love. Here's someone who could speak any language on earth marvelously, yet lack one thing. And all that eloquence is nonsense. Even worse, it's noise. Think of sounding brass. Think of a clanging cymbal. Those are things that make you cover your ears. I've got some children that are in band. And beginning of the year, first level band, you kind of cringe, you know, even as parents. Just, they're not on tune. They, they squeal. They squeak. You know? Or think if the microphone here, we get feedback... 
You know, it squeals, what do we all do? We, we, we cringe, don't we? That's what Paul brings up here. Someone could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I become sounding brass or clanging cymbal. The message is meaningless. People might at one level ooh and ah at the verbal eloquence, but his message will be lost on the people. They tune it out, the only noise, if he does not have love. The absence of love cancels out the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Congregation, think of that in terms of evangelism of unbelievers and, and with regard to edification in the church. It doesn't matter how eloquent you are as you teach doesn't matter how, how splendidly you can speak when you witness to others. And we ought to witness to others. It doesn't matter how articulate your preacher is week after week. But have not love. If love is absent from the speaker or from the church body as a whole, that message in the ears of the hearer, it turns into noise. Turns into noise, sounding brass, clanging cymbal, if we have not love. But the apostle doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with just just one example. He goes to other spiritual gifts, and and so do we. We move to verse 2, and our second point, that someone can be notable, yet be nothing. Verse 2, I'll read it again. And though I have the gift of prophecy... Understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So think if tongue speakers, if they would draw a crowd. Think of someone here, and this faith here we should, we should probably understand as a faith to work miracles. Again, notice about removing mountains, so that's probably how we should understand this faith here. So think if you and I had faith, we could move mountains. Think if we could enter into one of the hospitals, one of the wonderful hospitals we have in our area, and we could instantly heal people, children. Turn to the Helen DeVos Children's Hospital, if we could heal them with just touch. Or how about if we could bring as much rain as the crops need or stop it when the contractors, they need to get in the trenches. That would draw people into church, wouldn't it? Now, he wasn't a miracle worker, but maybe you've heard of George Mueller. He was a man of God, and his prayers were answered in amazing ways. Now, we read biographies of men and women like that, whose prayers God answers in amazing ways. Or think of those people who are wise and, and filled with great knowledge so that they can plumb the depths of, of the, the doctrines of the Christian faith and present them. We know some preachers, we know some teachers like that. Their ministries grow, don't they? No, we want deeper knowledge, don't we, of God's word and the truths. And the saints are drawn to someone's teaching like that. Think of St. Augustine, early church. Think of John Calvin. Think of Jonathan Edwards, notable men, men whom God raised up in the the life, the history of the church to build up his people. Or consider the human author of this epistle, Paul. He was a man. He knew the deep mysteries of the Christian faith more than St. Augustine, Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, anyone else. 
He had the gift of prophecy, prophetic power. He could understand mysteries and hard knowledge. He had faith that he could heal sick people, cast out demons. The gifts that the apostle mentions there in verse 2 are those that produce lasting results. We think of the gift of prophecy. It was used by God to produce the 27 books in the New Testament. Our rule for faith and life, all the Bible. God inspired men to write his word down. So we would have a document that says, here's what you're to believe. Here's how you're to live. Here is my word to you, people of God. And it was delivered through the spiritual gift of prophecy, apostleship. The spiritual gifts of understanding, having knowledge, build up God's church by having us increase in knowledge. Grasp of the Christian faith. We print books of those who have great insight. We'll think even on the back of our Psalter hymnal. What do we have there? We have liturgical forms, but one of the main things we have are creeds and confessions. Wonderful guides to summarize biblical truth to help us. Think of John Calvin's Institutes, Louis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, or his Manual of Christian Doctrine, or a Summary of Christian Doctrine. Spiritual gifts that God uses to build up the church to increase our knowledge, our grasp. So too, the spiritual gift of miraculous faith. Biographies are written of those who have incredibly strong faith, and we say, wow, Lord, strengthen my faith. In reading them, the Lord boosts our commitment, doesn't he? In fact, we think about that. Maybe you don't know, you know, some younger people here, maybe you don't know what to do on a Sunday afternoon. You, know, you don't do homework, you don't do work, you don't do certain leisure things. Well, read a biography of a saint. It's a wonderful way to spend a, a Sunday afternoon, a, a Sunday evening. Maybe you'd read it to the children or grandchildren. But even those spiritual gifts, the men and women who have them, very notable, fathers, mothers in the faith, If they have not love, I am nothing. Someone could have the sharpest mind, the deepest faith, but if love is absent from him, from her, it's nothing. It's not just becoming humble. It's a complete negation, nothing. A complete undoing of all that they are. I am nothing. Nothing, says the apostle. Now, that doesn't put down prophecy or, or knowledge or miraculous faith. The, the apostle earlier had, had ranked these gifts very high, and, and we, again, not to the same level of the spiritual gifts back then, but, but similar to them of, of faith and knowledge. Again, we're very thankful for men and women like that. Nothing. Again, by all means, pursue spiritual gifts, Paul wrote. But don't stop there. Deep faith, knowledge, understanding, those are not the end goals of Christian life. They're means to an end. And that end is love. With the ultimate goal being to glorify God. Seek to know more. Seek to have a greater faith. Paul's not diminishing. He's not setting aside these gifts. But as you seek to train your children in the faith, as you attempt to talk with a neighbor or a coworker about the reformational faith, if you do so without love, you're nothing. 
Fathers, you're responsible to teach and train your children to lead and guide your wife. But make sure love is present. Your wife, your children, they need you to love. Parents, your children need you to love them. A lack of love ruins your testimony. And all the money, all the learning, all the work, all the vacations, all the opportunities in the world can't make up for a lack of true biblical love. The absence of love cancels out spiritual gifts of prophecy, knowledge, miraculous faith. Earnestly desire the greater gifts, yes, but don't see them as an end in themselves. For without love, the gift profits nothing. Even more, you and I are nothing. Now, there's still one more set of spiritual gifts upon which the apostle focuses in showing the the necessity of love. And that's what we come to in our third point, verse 3, about giving much, yet gaining nothing. Giving much, yet gaining nothing. And I'll I'll read this verse, verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Apostle Paul is intent in making his point clear. He's already discussed the necessity of love for proper exercise of spiritual gifts of of tongue speaking, prophecy, knowledge, miraculous faith. He doesn't stop there though. Now now those previous gifts, as we were going through this, as I was mentioning them, talking about them, you say, well, yeah, I'm not a John Calvin. I'm not a St. Augustine. I'm not a George Mueller. You know, Who's as wise as these men? Who can pray like these men? No one living today has the gift of speaking in tongues. The average Christian does not attain to the measure of these spiritual gifts found in verses 1 and 2. We don't. But we do here. You, me, the average Christian. We can give away what God has given us. We can give for the building up of God's kingdom. The Apostle Paul here turns to, in a sense, a gift, something that every Christian has and uses, giving. Whether that be earthly goods and possessions, whether it be earthly talents, whether it be our earthly life. You can do this. You have this gift, believer. The Apostle Paul remarks, though, about giving all that we have. Now, now that's beyond the average believer. Paul extends it beyond what the average believer does. Very few of us give all that we have, right? And God doesn't want us in this life because he has other purposes for it, not just giving to the poor. But there is something that all of us can give. And Paul brings that out, even our life. It should require, for the sake of the gospel, the testimony of Jesus Christ. Who among us would ever look down upon a martyr of Jesus Christ? We read in the scriptures of Stephen, but maybe you've read in church history, Fox's Book of Martyrs, wonderful book that gives just, just a few of the stories of some of the Christians throughout the ages who have been killed for confessing Christ. Surely the the giving of our lives is the greatest use of the 
spiritual gift of giving. We honor, we don't worship, obviously, but, but we honor, and rightly so, those who are martyred for the faith. But what does he say here? But have not love, it profits me nothing. Profits you nothing. On the last day, the day of judgment, you could have given up all that you own. You could have even given up your life for the sake of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Christ. But if you did not have love, your works will be found wanting. And you will gain nothing. Now, God graciously rewards our good works. But if our works are found devoid of love, there's no reward. There's no gracious reward for them. The absence of love cancels out even the spiritual gift of giving, of self-sacrifice, even martyrdom. We read from our Old Testament reading there in Micah. The prophet asks some rhetorical questions. Is the Lord pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I come before him with this or that? Shall I give my firstborn for my sins? Will any of that avail? All that self-sacrifice is meaningless in God's sight. Verse 8, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That phrase, love mercy there, verse 8, it's literally love Chesed, love, steadfast love, love, covenant love. Ultimately, God doesn't care how much you give. He cares how much you love. How much you love him, how much you love your neighbor. And while we can think of the Apostle Paul in regard to the greatness of spiritual gifts here in 1 Corinthians 13, think even more about Jesus. Because it's from Jesus by his spirit that all spiritual gifts come. And during his ministry on earth, Jesus showed how gifted he was. The Apostle John records for us in the gospel account, Jesus was given the spirit without measure. So imagine then Jesus living for 33 years on earth, working great miracles, amazing teaching, such as the gospel accounts have. But think then, if every gospel account ended before the crucifixion. If Jesus was caught up into heaven without having suffered and died on the cross, without the resurrection, of what good would that have been to the elect? Of what use would Jesus have been to us if he showed forth the fullness of every spiritual gift but didn't love us enough to give up his life for us. He took upon himself the penalty due us for our sin, and so releasing us from it. We were so mired in sin, we were under God's wrath, that unless we were shown divine love, the physical healing, the, the heavenly teaching, and the, all that would not have helped us. We needed the outworking to the uttermost of God's love. We almost don't want to think about it, but Jesus shows the truth of the Apostle Paul's teaching here in these first three verses. Jesus had to show great love, agape love, in order to rescue us from the judgment of God. 
Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. He, he didn't just lay down his life for the Christian faith, martyr in that regard. He laid it down for us. God's love in Christ. And all those who believe in Jesus are forgiven. We're saved. That call goes forth, trust him. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Christ's giftedness profits us. Think of that well-known Bible verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love in Christ. If the triune God had not loved us with the love that he did, all that giftedness would have been for nothing. Christ would have been nothing for us. And that shows the importance of love. The spiritual gifts are nothing without love. If I have not love, I am nothing. So how much more so with you and me, brothers and sisters? We must exercise our spiritual gifts, all that God has given us, with love. Love must surround, it must fill, it must characterize our use of the gifts Jesus imparts to us through his Spirit. Without love, our service is nothing, our worship is nothing, our evangelism is nothing, we are nothing. Now, that love isn't how the world says it is. Again, Paul in this chapter says, here's what love is. It's not the worldly idea of love. But we must love. That's the importance of it. Now, we've had the past, now we're getting farther away, but the past two years have been hard. And maybe you were right about everything, about everything related to the virus, everything related to elections, everything this and that. Are you loving? Are you loving? All those other things profit nothing, are nothing. Paul says this inspired by the Spirit. This is the importance of love, a love that each Christian must have and show for every other Christian, no exception. Spiritual gifts are nothing without love. So by God's grace, let not love be absent from you, from me. And as it's not, by God's grace, may God receive all the praise. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, such love you have bestowed on us. We should be called children of God. Such love While we were enemies, Christ died for us. Such love that you gave your only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. Now fill us with your Spirit, that as we pursue spiritual gifts, again, in a different way than the early church, but pursue knowledge, and strong faith, prayer, and giving that we would 
walk on this way of love for you, for our neighbor. We would, as you say, pursue love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.